I think this is also why, like, um, the cooperation of cross-region project, like what we are doing, is important because the the migrant workers are traveling in different places. So, right. and sometimes it's not in their control whether they can stay in one place or whether they have to go to another places. Only if we can cooperate with different place, then our migrants who have to travel in different places, they will get more protection or more support whenever they go to each place. Every migrants, especially those grassroots migrants, um, their voices are marginalized in the local society. Only through uh, cooperating uh, at the international level so that we can strengthen our voice and then make our voice get heard. I never have um, experienced as a migrant to live in another place yet, but uh, we never know like in such kind of situation, no matter it is because of political reasons or even economic reasons or what kind of reasons, um, any one of us may be a migrant someday. So I think right. the cooperation is also about when someday, no matter whether we want to go abroad because we just we want or because of any other reasons, we might be in the same situation as the migrant workers. Please listen carefully. Welcome to iMigrant Podcast, which is dedicated to highlighting the stories of migrants and advocates, as well as cross-cutting human rights issues across East and Southeast Asia. The iMigrant Podcast is an initiative of BBC Network, better engagement between East and Southeast Asia. BBC is a cross-regional platform for migrants, their loved ones, supporters, and advocates in and from these regions to build a stronger network and collaboration among individuals and civil society actors cross-regionally in order to advocate for better protection of human rights and inclusive and safe governance of migration. You can find BBC on social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. BBC Share, Connect, and Collaborate. This episode is part of a series focusing on COVID-19's impact on migrant workers in their major destinations in East and Southeast Asia, following up the cross-regional joint research conducted as part of BBC initiative. Throughout this series, we will host this podcast with the coordinator of this research to hear from each field researcher about the situation in their place, their experience and updates on recent developments. So my name is Andy. I'm your host today. Um, I studied I, I studied Southeast Asian studies, and yeah. And today I'm with Mariko. Mariko is the lab uh, research coordinator. Would you like to uh, introduce yourself? Thank you, Andy. Um, yes, my name is Mariko, and I work on this project. Um, doing a joint research on the 
COVID response measures on their imp- and their impacts on migrant workers' rights. In the major, a uh, seventh major uh, East and Southeast Asian destinations for migrant workers. Um, so this research was conducted during the summer, uh, between around June until uh, September, October in 2020, and the report was launched in December uh, last year. So the, the report itself is available on the website of a Human Rights Working Group Indonesia. Um, but today, yeah, we want to discuss uh, about this uh, project. I mean, especially focusing on the Hong Kong situations. Right, thank you. Um, and today, we are going to have the, uh, the speakers or field researcher from Hong Kong, Fifi Ng. And she is a researcher and a member of Migrant Solidarity Committee. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Fifi. Yeah. Hi everyone. Hi Andy, I'm Fifi and I'm from Hong Kong and I'm a member of Migrant Solidarity Committees. The shortened name is MISOCOM. And uh, maybe I introduce a bit about the MISOCOM first. Uh, we are a group of people who devote ourselves to the mass of migrant workers and their movements through knowing, understanding, being familiarized and connecting with the grassroots. And our members continue to take part in migrant workers' movements from different perspectives, distributing information and sharing understanding among the public. So I myself have been committed into the migrant community for several years. And I first actually start with exchanging our language knowledge, which that I teach them Cantonese and then they teach me back the Bahasa Indonesian. And then uh, now I'm exploring more, like a different way to share the voices and the stories of migrant workers to the public. And I'm also participating in this research as one of the way to do so. And uh, also I'm trying to make a documentary about the condition of migrant domestic workers during COVID-19 in Hong Kong with them. And we also launched a Facebook page, Guru Migrant Bijara, Migrant Workers Says, where we will upload their thoughts, voices of migrant workers uh, in form of videos, poems, pictures, or any other forms. And then we will translate it into English and Chinese. Yeah, so a bit about myself. Yeah, right. It sounds very uh, extensive experience. You already work in uh, migrant workers Thank in Hong you. Kong the area um uh the, my next question would be like uh, what are the what are the main findings on on your research recently yeah i think i will start because we right. yeah i have like, worked with our seven field researchers and then um you know how i saw these uh, situations in hong kong uh, quite unique or different or specific about uh, compared to uh, other places that we also looked at. So I thought the uniqueness, I mean, Fifi, you can correct me you know, later if, I, if I'm a bit wrong, but I thought the uniqueness of migrant worker demography in Hong Kong is that the vast majority of migrant workers are domestic workers. And the, the data actually showed that in 2019, there were almost 400,000 400, uh, foreign domestic workers in Hong Kong. And it accounts for like almost 10% of the entire labor force force in Hong Kong. And the other thing is that because of the nature of work, the 99% of domestic workers are women, and then around 55% coming from the Philippines and 43% uh, 
coming from Indonesia and the remaining coming from like Thailand or Sri Lanka or Bangladesh. So I, I find it a very uh, unique, uh, very you know big portion of domestic workers within the migrant communities. And also um, a lot of them were women. So it's a very um, gender um, specific. And mm -hmm. again, also like a lot of people coming from Southeast Asian countries as well. So that's something that just to begin with, it's a very unique uh, point about the Hong Kong's migrant workers uh, demography. So the issues that uh, emerged during COVID is also um, because of this like characteristic, you know, so the, the because of the nature of the work of domestic workers and the policies around that, the your field research, Fifi, looked at uh, also care workers in residential uh, care homes as well. But I think they're quite similar in the way. Um, I'm not wrong. Um, of course, the policies are different, but the, probably the nature is quite similar. So the, you know, for example, like work from home measures uh, that happened in many countries, also in Hong Kong, that there are many employers are spending a lot of time at home. So leaving domestic workers on the call or under surveillance 24-7 almost, and the rest days and time off were denied. And the more migrant domestic workers were facing exploitations, uh, risks of physical, verbal, psychological, or even sexual abuses in some cases. And because of that, you know, they're spending a lot of time at home, everyone's stressed, that kind of thing, I think. And also the the policy requires for domestic workers uh, to live with the employers. So this is also um, linked with the, the close you know, surveillance and being on the call all the time. Um, mm. for, but also at the same time, because the, the accommodations are provided by the employers. So some people who have lost their job during this um, economic situations that have been worsened during the pandemic, or some of them just finished their contract uh, terms, they have faced the risk of losing place to stay because a lot of people couldn't fly back home because of the you know international travel restrictions mm -hmm. so they had to rely on agencies sometimes and they might charge them to stay in their dormitories and um, that was also a quite strong uh, points that made um, the other thing I thought it was quite interesting was that uh, because the Hong Kong government implemented a lot of gathering bans, a uh, quite strict one, I think it was you know legally restricted and there was uh, penalties as well um, that affected migrant workers, uh, especially those you know domestic workers who often gather in public spaces on their rest day. Um, that's very important for them to socialize and exchange information or you know getting support from um, their their friends or civil society organizations. So that was really impacted as well. And I guess, you know, gathering also uh, in kind of put uh, some stigma towards the migrant workers because they are not following the rules or they, they were considered as being outside and carrying virus or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I think these are the, you know, the quite unique findings that I thought, uh, but I would like to you know, ask Fifi to elaborate more or add anything that, you know, you, I missed, but you, that you thought it quite important. Yeah, thank you, Mariko. Uh, I think the first thing I want to uh, kind of mention more additional information is about uh, the gathering ban. Uh, mm -hmm. The regulation is actually, uh, how to say it, um, the enforcement is not always strict uh, because like, for example, uh, if you go on the street, it's easy for anyone to be uh, more than uh, 
like before it's two person only now it's four person but beyond this number it's always there but uh, if you're walking on the street or like um or if you are having your daily life as uh usual hong kong people here um there is no enforcement of whether you are violating the gathering ban but only some group of people are always being targeted to check if they are violating the gathering ban uh, one of the group is the migrant workers who have to gather on public space because they have no elsewhere place to go for rest on their rest day so um it is kind of like not really very strict but when it's on sunday and when it's where the migrant workers stay then it become much more strict than before or than any other circumstances yeah um yeah and one of the thing uh i discover during the research is that um i i now understand how uh, migrant workers are really treated as only labor force by the society and by the government but not really as human being or not even caring about their own labor rights or like human rights um I, why I say this is that, uh, especially when we have to look at the access to information of the migrant workers, um, what I can observe is that um, the society and the government is only telling them like the rules they have to follow, the regulation, for example, the gathering ban. And there are some uh, good employers, they are trying to do some translation of um, the hygiene knowledge to the migrants too. But um actually this kind of information is already very much and then i mean amongst there are many of them um and the migrants already know a lot about that but uh actually not many people in the society focus that on they are lacking information like any new kind of policies especially uh regarding to the migrant situation or like their visas how they can assess this kind of information or like when they are facing difficulties because of the COVID-19 and they are having new kind of um, struggles within the household the employment and household then where they can seek help from and what kind of advice they can seek from and how do they deal with many of their um, worries and their man, mental health burden those kind of thing no one's really talking about that and all those kind of policy it's always think from the government side or like think for the employer perspective but not from the migrants perspective so um yeah and who is the only one that care about their mental health and then it's it's the migrant workers themselves so it is the migrant workers in Hong Kong, they organize themselves and then helping each other, spreading the information everyone needs and then trying to voice out their stories. But it's quite sad that um, the mainstream media didn't really um, care or value their voice much. And mm. even they have been putting so many efforts to uh, pass their voice and then voice out to tell their stories. Um, it's like not really many um, reports or like TV shows or TV news reports is about re what they are really facing. Most of those kind of reports is always saying that, oh, they are still gathering on Sunday outside. Oh, they are not wearing masks. Uh, they do not have any hygiene knowledge. 
So it's really a kind of stigmatization. Mm. Yeah, so very concerning about this uh, stig- stigma- stigmatization uh, against uh, migrant workers. Although for migrant workers, they really need this kind of gathering in order for them to, say, to share stories. Um, could you talk a bit about how you did the research and how was it for you personally conducting this research? Yeah. Uh, like uh, actually, even before the research, I always go to where the migrant domestic workers take their holiday on Sunday, and I will be mm. with them. Uh, maybe sometimes providing help uh, if they need some translation, because um, many migrant workers receive uh, letters from the government, letters from immigrations, but most of them is in uh, Chinese. Sometimes there will be English, which will be better, but. When it's in Chinese, it's hard for them to really find, uh, figure out what is that about. So um, sometimes I provide such kind of help outside with their post. Um, and so I got many chance to talk with the migrant workers in Hong Kong and then to understand their situation. And I also interviewed many NGOs and shelters that support the migrants, example, is the mission for migrant workers in Hong Kong and also the Bethlehem House. So um, this is how I get all those kind of um, materials and their stories mm. because mm. I'm having really long time to be with them every week. Uh, for me, um, personally, it's it was really a great experience. Like um, be- Because uh, in this research, we are required to not just uh, mention one group of migrant workers we have to mention different kind of different group of migrant workers and also the research team wants to know more about like how about the undocumented workers in the respective places how are their situation um so this really remind me because uh before this research whenever i talk about migrant workers usually i just refer to the migrant domestic workers because they are the vast majority and and they are kind of visible because sometimes you will know your friends have one of the migrant workers in their house as a domestic workers. Or if you go out on Sunday, then you, you must see them. Um, yeah. But uh, when compared to migrant domestic workers, other kind of migrant workers are not that visible. Like for example, the migrant care workers, they are working long time in a residential home. And mm-hmm. most of them are from mainland China, which uh, it is not that obvious you will see they are not a local here. So okay. this kind of thing will make you think that um, when you think about migrant workers, you also you always just think about the migrant domestic workers in Hong Kong. But with this research, I started to notice that, oh yeah, actually um, those care workers in the residential home, there are some of them also migrant workers. and. Mm-hmm. Before, like when I think about other migrants, usually what the term we use is asylum seekers. We seldom uh, regard them as a workers because uh, they are actually kind of illegal workers, um, framed by the media or framed by the um, government. Um, and when they are treated as illegal or seen as illegal, um, they are even more discriminated, marginalized and no one actually think about they should also have the right as a laborer or as a workers. Um, mm. So um, I think another thing is also that because uh, 
they are undocumented. Even the mainstream media, when they talk about their stories, they they cannot mention they're working. So all this kind of thing make them even more invisible as workers, as migrant workers here. So um, it is from this research I started to uh, reflect on how I understand migrant workers, who are not migrant workers, and who are migrant workers. And then, although I don't have much connections that I can assess to them, um, but this really helped me to think wider to build up the narrative to protect the migrant workers' rights in Hong Kong. I just wanted to mention that the um, you know this Hong Kong chapter really is one of my favorite one because um, you really have gathered a lot of stories and I even had to give up some to put on the record. Yeah. So many, but I could see that um, you have really strong connection with them, and they trust you to tell all these like very you know genuine narratives of their experiences, and it's really kind of gives us the real you know stories the real what's happening to them and not just what's happening but what does it feels to them what does it feels like to be in that situation so it's really like enriches our understandings and it's really strong ways to to raise awareness as well i think and also mentioning about undocumented people i just wanted to ask you whether you know because from what i saw uh, from your findings that uh, because of the international travel restrictions, some people after they have lost work or their contracts terminated, they might have faced the risk of being undocumented, right? Um, did you see any like kind of situations where people are trapped in that kind of conditions that they finish their work, their visas expiring, but they cannot go home? Um, how did it impact these people? Ah, uh, yeah. About like uh, Mariko mentioned that uh, I have or uh, collect many stories and also their feelings from the migrant workers. Uh, I think because for me, um, the migrant workers are really my friend. Like on Sunday when I go there, I like, I mean, at the beginning when I uh, be in contact with the migrants, uh, somehow it's like only doing some volunteering work. But now it's for me more like going to see a friend and then really try to have holiday in there like like just as them uh, sitting in the public area together and so uh, I'm not only a researcher who um, go there to collect their stories or collect data but rather um, I can feel that even I'm not asking some stories they will already tell me because they treat me as friend and they all mm -hmm. they, they also need someone to listen to them too so this is how uh, why I can get such kind of data, um, including their feelings and their stories. Yeah. So uh, I forget, Mariko, your second question is about how how yeah, the situation of COVID nineteen. Yeah, affects. and also like you know the even domestic workers might have faced the risk of you know becoming undocumented because mm -hmm. of you know after they have lost work and then their travel is restricted. So just following up your your comments about undocumented people. Um, I just wondered if you know someone who are in the situations of losing their status because of that. Mm -mm. Um, maybe I can mention some case I know uh, from the migrant domestic workers sectors. Um, actually, now uh, many migrant domestic workers who lost the job, no matter uh, because they 
they are terminated by the employer because maybe the employer do not like them to go out on Sunday, or um, because the financial uh, problem the employer face, um, or like some of the migrant workers I know, they terminate the contract because during the COVID nineteen, uh, the um, employer are asking them to do very heavy job and they are not having enough rest or not uh, enough um, um, like masks or hand sanitizer those kind of things um, many of them are facing a long time waiting for visas uh, like several months or even like uh, half years to wait for the visa to be approved um, so actually during this time um, this period of time when they're waiting for visa, they cannot do any kind of job, which means that they do not have any financial support from uh, for, for themselves in Hong Kong or for their families. So this is actually a situation that pushing some of the migrant workers that they may want to risk their um, they may want to risk their visa or risk to be arrested, but they are forced to do some kind of illegal job in order to sustain their life or sustain their family yeah and i i also know that there are some kind of workers like construction workers or other kind of workers originally they are not coming to hong kong to stay for so long but because of the covid 19 they are stuck in hong kong and then uh, they cannot go back yet so they started to try to find some jobs and some of them like uh, got arrested and then some of them um, I've heard a case that they act he actually died because of the uh, work as accidents work injuries accidents so there are many kind of stories like this because the travel ban because they cannot travel that easy than before so um, some of the workers who are not illegal or not undocumented become undocumented Mm, right. So um, after the the research are being conducted, of course, the situation has changed a bit, or for better or probably for worse. Uh, what has changed since summer last year? What What are the current situations? For, for example, particularly for those do, domestic workers, those who are staying at home, perhaps they have to stay long hours working. Right? Are there Are there are there a vaccine or masks being distributed to them? How is it? How is the current situations? Yeah, um, actually, like so far after summer, there is no more like mass distributed to them. I mean, from the government, um, many of them, if they can get um, from the employer, it's lucky. But if not, uh, some of them are trying to get it from the organization or from the NGOs. Um, yeah. Um, in the research, uh, we also mentioned that um, the migrant domestic workers, if they um, terminate the contract or they finish the contract, uh, they can still extend the stay to one month instead of two weeks before the pandemic. Um, but uh, like at the end of 2020, um, the immigration actually uh, tightened uh, these flexibilities that um, because they want to avoid job hopping which means that they regard uh, the migrant workers will do job hopping in order to earn money without working um, so um, they started to say that if 
the migrant domestic workers have not finished the contract, which means that they either they terminate the contract or the employer terminate that contract. Um, they will be only given two weeks to stay in Hong Kong, not one month, as what the flexibility they provide, um, um, like maybe in the middle of the pandemic. So um, this actually affects a lot of migrant domestic workers. Um, only in last year, 2020, there are already 300, more than 300 workers visas rejected because they are accused of job hopping. Um, but um, it is like a double when compared to previous years. So um, it's really something bad or worse happening to the migrants community. And uh, as I have talked with many of them, um, some of them, why they break the contract is because they have to work so long time and then um, like from five to 11 without any rest. And then there are also some cases is that because there are sexual abuse happening, so they break the contract. But even like this, after her case finished, um, I mean, her case uh, to complain um, the employer um, carrying on uh, sexual abuse on her, um, she still have to wait for a long time for the visa and she have to go to interview in the immigration being accused whether you are, whether you want to do job hopping. But it's actually the first contract she have in Hong Kong. And she, you, you, I mean, the immigration already know that it's because of sexual abuse. So it's actually something that um, we see it's very unfair because uh, when something happened, the immigration are only considering for the employer. If the employer complain about the working um, performance of the worker, yeah, the working performance of the workers, um, this might be some kind of reason that the immigration are not going to grant the visa anymore. And actually, whether they grant the visa, it's very arbitrary. We have heard a case that um, one worker already received a call from the immigration um, that her visa is finally granted. But um, after, before the workers go to the immigration to get the visa, um, she got being issued a ticket of violating the gathering ban. And then when she go to the immigration, the immigration told her um, her visa is rejected because of she violated the social gathering ban, which is, it should not be the penalty of the social gathering ban. So everything is so arbitrary, but we also heard some case that if the employer fight for the workers that are accused of job hopping or any other things, um, then the immigration will grant the visa. So we, we can see all of this is that um, the employer are having much more power than the workers. And even you are facing very, uh, very unwell situation in the household. If you are the one who break the contract, the workers actually are facing a lot of risk that they are not having any other job in Hong Kong again because of the immigration will not grant them the visa. Better after the summer because, uh, for example, the penalty of offending the social gathering then um, actually raised from 2,500 to 5,000 now which if you compare the minimum allowable wage of migrant domestic workers is 4,630 only. So it's really so, it's a big amount for the migrants. And right. at the same time, 
um, so far until early January, there are close to 100 migrants are being issued the tickets of the penalty already. Um, so actually, the police some of sometimes they they actually go to where the migrant workers have rest in order to issue some tickets, and um, and like the government officials and police always go there and then they are they are saying that they are only reminding them about the social distancing regulations but it's really disturbing and um, like the migrants already developed some kind of um, when they see the police they're not kissing each other but even like that the police they have to issue some ticket I think it's actually they need to get some numbers to tell the society that they have to do something. So, hmm. yeah. Um, and I think there are one uh, funny thing is that because recently there are one legislative council suggesting the government to have a regulation to... Um, do we have to stop first? I don't know. For, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, the funny episode is that uh, recently there is a legislative council uh, who councillors who suggest the government to have uh, regulations to prohibit migrant domestic workers to leave the home on Sunday uh, but the government rejects to do so claiming that it is actually a racist discrimination and um, they said that it is not appropriate and reasonable because if you ask the migrant domestic workers to stay at home, they're actually staying in where they work. So they said they cannot issue such kind of order. But uh, I was wondering why when the Labour Department are always appealing the migrant domestic workers to stay home um, mm. on their rest day, why did they not think about this? Anyway, why only when it becomes an order then you think it's racist discrimination, but not when you are issuing such kind of appeal. And yeah. also, I, I would also like to question the government. If you have many government officials available to go every Sunday to the place where the migrant domestic workers to check whether they are adhering to the social distancing regulation, why they do not have such kind of human resource into promoting migrant domestic workers' labor rights. There are many domestic workers, they do not have access to how their rights should be. They are being exploited by the agency and by the employer. And why the government are not doing anything for so long time. So yeah, actually the government are still neglecting um, all the situation, all the conditions the migrant domestic workers face, um, even like, it is already a year after um, the COVID-19 started. Right. Yeah, that's a uh, very... Uh, this is... Uh, now I come to understanding why uh, it's always being said that uh, migrant workers are uh, treated like a scapegoat uh, in their uh, destination countries. Um, but though there is, is there no like civil society advocacy that have emerged into like advocating uh, the migrant workers right in, in, in Hong Kong? And what are the challenges for them if there, there are such things like existing? Yeah, um, I think uh, one of the like approach should go to the migrant domestic workers here. They are really 
putting so many efforts to do the advocacy themselves. Um, um, some of uh, the people like us are also trying to support. So uh, as I mentioned at the start, uh, we are launching a page in order to spread um, the voice and stories of the modern domestic workers. And then we are trying to translate it into English and Chinese where like the local people are more easy to assess and understand. Mm -hmm. um, because I think throughout the years, actually, we have tried a lot, like holding many press conferences, trying to tell the reporters the situation of the migrants. But um, like even we do a lot, uh, the coverage is still very small. So um, instead of only relying on the mainstream media, we are also trying to build up more um, channel by mm. ourselves that we can have our own agenda. So we can have our, our voice um, at least presented as we want it to be. Um, not being cropped by the mainstream media or like the local um, mm. um, people mind that uh, migrant workers are always um, virus carriers, something like this. We want to counter this kind of ideas. So we are trying different ways to um, spread the message. Uh, okay. Yeah, but um, for the challenge, another challenge I think is that because uh, the migrant workers, their identity here is not permanent and it's easy to be um, rejected by the immigration. So even though like um, their advocacy or their self-organizing are going on, um, sometimes it's just when you started to organize one of the people, um, it's easy for them because of various reasons, their visa got rejected so that they cannot stay here. Um, yeah, and I think um, this is also why, like, um, the cooperation of cross-region project, like what we are doing, is important because the um, the migrant workers are traveling in different places. So, right. and sometimes it's not in their control whether they can stay in one place or whether they have to go to another places. Only if we can cooperate with different place, then our migrants who have to travel in different places, they will get more protection or more support whenever they go to each place. Right, so I think that's exactly what the BBC platform is supposed uh, supposed to be about, right? So to provide platform for those who, are, who want to share their voices and their experience and advocating basically their rights. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Fifi, for for yeah sharing sharing all your uh, your research and your uh, contribution in migrant workers work, uh, advocacy rights in in Hong Kong. And yeah, would you like to say something, Mariko? <laughs> no, I mean yeah, thank you so much, Fifi. It's been really wonderful to work with. <laughs> To hear your stories and your experiences as well and really appreciate your last comments about you know uh, how we can kind of collaborate together work together i guess um yeah what you're talking about the civil society's advocacy and the challenges 
that you're facing. Um, it, I think, you know, different level, but I think all of us in the regions kind of are feeling that as well. And um, I mean, today we didn't really touch upon a lot on the political situation in Hong Kong, but I guess, you know, in, in different civil societies have different spaces that are available for them to voice out. So, you know, this is something that we are trying to create with the, the corporations and, and kind of trying to fill gaps for each other. So. I think it's really represent uh, what you know we are trying to do here on BBC. Right. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Marika, yeah. and thank you, Fifi. Uh, yeah, Fifi, do you want to just add anything at the end? Um, I think uh, it's like maybe a little bit more about uh, why we we need to cooperate cross regionally. It's uh, I want to mention the Ariana cases. Uh, in Hong Kong several years ago. Actually, uh, when the case happened, at first it did not attract so many attention in the local society. Even the local media are not giving much coverage. Only mm -hmm. after the case uh, catch attention, huge attention at the international level, it, make, it, it kind of like forced the local society and the local government to put attention on it. So this is also why like the cross-region cooperation is that important because like every migrants, especially those grassroots migrants, um, their voices are marginalized in the local society. Only through uh, cooperating uh, at the international level so that we can um, strengthen our voice and then make our voice get heard. Um, mm. Yeah, and uh, Mariko, mention a little bit about the Hong Kong political situation. Um, mm. It is also one of the kind of like unclear or unknown challenge for the um, migrants advocacy because uh, as you know uh, now the national security law uh, some of the um, details is that uh, it actually tried to stop you from having connections with um, other organizations outside Hong Kong outside China. Um, you do not know how they define whether it is okay to cooperate or whether it's not. Um, so it's kind of like a, a known risk for all of us. And I think like, because uh, I'm not, I, I, I never have a experience as a migrant to live in another place yet, but uh, we never know like in such kind of situation, no matter it is because of political reasons or even economic reasons or what kind of reasons, um, any one of us may be a migrant someday. So I think right. the cooperation is also about when someday, no matter whether we want to go abroad because we just we want or because of any other reasons, um, we might be in the same situation as the migrant workers here too. So that's why I think not only like in a macro level why the cross-regional cooperation is important but also kind of a personal or like interpersonal level why I think the cross-regional cooperation is that important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, lovely. Right. That's exactly what we are having right now. 
Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it's it's been really insightful uh, in, uh, inputs that you've been you've been uh, sharing with us. Thank you, Mariko, and thank you, Fifi, for your time. And yeah, to know more about this joint research and the situations of other major migrant workers destinations in East and Southeast Asia, listen to other episode of this podcast series on COVID-19 and migrant workers. Thank you very much. Thank you.